0: Hey listeners, over the last few months, the Getting Smart team has been working on identifying 20 invention opportunities in learning and development, and have pulled all of that together into a report that was made possible by the Walton Family Foundation and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. These opportunities have the possibility to completely shift what we talk about when we talk about schooling. Check out our recommendations, insights, and more at the link in the show notes or at gettingsmart.com slash invention opportunity. to the Getting Smart Podcast. I'm Rebecca Middles, and today we are joined by Katie Martin, Chief Impact Officer at Learner Center Collaborative. Katie supports school and district leaders to reimagine school, along with a professional learning team. Katie supports district and school leaders to create the conditions and experiences to shift to Learner Center models of education. Before her time at Learner Center Collaborative, Katie was an educator and also served as Director of District Leadership at the Buck Institute for Education. She is recently the author of Evolving Education, Shifting to a Learner-Centered Paradigm. Katie, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell us about Learner-Centered Collaborative?
1: Yeah, I'm super excited to share um, this news. We um, are a a group of educators that have evolved from uh, altitude learning uh, work that we've been doing with partners for the last almost five years And we are continuing to support educators, schools, districts, and states. And we are excited to expand our offerings and and really support this shift to learner-centered education more broadly um, across the U.S. And who knows, globally too.
0: This is big news, congratulations. I know there are so many of us that are excited and cheering for you. A big fan of your work before the one that we're gonna be talking about today too. And so I'd love to kick off by just asking where your learner-centered drive comes from. I know um, in this new book, you've talked about your journey, which I thought was really wonderful to hear your path and the story of a personal experience. And just curious about how much that played into the role that you now take, not only as an educator when you were talking about this journey, but also as a leader and helping support others in this work now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think all of us, um, it, it starts with our own stories and experiences. And for me as a student, I just remember feeling really uh, disengaged, but just kind of going through the motions in school. And I remember thinking a lot of times, like, there has to be a better way of doing this. We're spending so much time in school, Um, you know, and I, I like to share in third grade, my teacher made me read The Mouse and the Motorcycle. And I remember thinking, I hate this book. Why do I have to read this book and answer questions? Why do I have to tell you what the main idea is? Um, you know, isn't there a lot of ways to think about this? And, and so those are kind of my earliest memories of school. And, um, you know, I, I went through, I got my B average because I had to, but it wasn't until college that I really got to learn in ways that like allowed for creativity and I got to ask questions and do research and, and really investigate things that mattered to me. And I just thought, this is awesome. I love learning. I'm excited about this. I want to read more. And then I thought, why can't we do this earlier? Why do I have to wait until college um, to to really learn in ways that are powerful? And so my mom is a teacher. I I learned from her in so many different ways. But it was really when I entered my credential program, um, I decided, I don't want to be the teacher that I had. I want to be the teacher that that allows kids to think differently and to explore their passions and to really see themselves as as central to the the learning process. Um, And so that's really where this started for me. And as I've gotten to explore different classrooms and different models and connect with other educators, I've seen more and more and my ideas about what's possible have been expanded. And so I'm even more motivated and inspired to create these opportunities for more kids. And then I think the third part of this is being a mom and seeing what works for my own kids and seeing school through their eyes and, and what I see of them as individuals and how they view school. Um, I just am even um, more and more committed to, to really creating opportunities that all kids get to see who they, um, you know, their gifts and their strengths and grow, um, grow as individuals um, in school so that they can be productive now and throughout their lives.
0: If you're a fan of Katie's first book, like I am, um, I'm sure you enjoyed all of the examples of teachers and her teaching experience. What I love about this new book that we'll move into in just a second is similar to what you just shared right now is your journey about the way even math was approached and supported along your journey, similar to what you've already shared. I'm just giving some more um, plugs for this new book, because I really feel like the times that you pull in your own children into this as a mother, the times that you experience this as a, as a learner yourself, really complements both the first book and this next book that we'll talk about today. So really exciting to share more about that. Congratulations on that evolving education and shifting to a learner-centered paradigm. Um, what was your impetus for writing this book, the second one, this version?
1: Yeah, I think it's like you just said, Rebecca, this, this book is very vulnerable for me. This book is, you know, the first time I've shared more stories about me and my journey and kind of what has led me um, to be inspired and motivated as an educator um, and things that have held me back. Uh, I share a lot about my kids, um, you know, with their permission, to be very clear, they're going into sixth and seventh grade. And I've asked Zach, you know, when when I speak to people and share his story, I always ask, is it okay with you still, buddy? And he goes, yeah, mom. I want to inspire teachers. I'm excited for you to share. Um, so, so I think that that has been a big piece is is when I when I have been more open and vulnerable about what's really happening in schools, and the impact that it has on us as individuals. Right, that it's not just going through school, it's not just getting through the day and surviving. But when we can create classrooms that really Um, empower learners and, and honor them for who they are, uh, it it impacts the whole, their whole lives, right? It impacts, it impacts much more than just the day to day. And so that was, um, the more I saw those stories and the more I started to see the connections in my own kids, my own experiences, and so many other educators um, that I've talked to, I really wanted to write a book that, um, that, that pushed us to think differently. That pushed us to not just, um, you know, tinker around the edges and to really think differently about um, how we view learners and how we view the role of education. I appreciate that that
0: take because I think a lot of us will make personal connections as we, as I did when I was reading it, thinking as a, as a daughter of educators myself and a, a mother with similar age children. It was um, great for me to not only be brought into your story, but then also think about mine. I, I love also that you have pieces put into your book about put into practice. So I definitely think there's an intention that lines up to what you just shared about, here's how to even process some of these pieces and how you can take from this and make it your own in your personalized context and giving people a really intentional time to reflect throughout the book. Also super appreciated.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that that's, that's an important piece. This is not a recipe book, right? There is there is not like just do this and you're gonna change everything. It, it's intentional about, Our mindsets, about our practices. And I really think evolving education is not about changing everything. It's not about saying what you did didn't work. It is about looking at our past, understanding the research and understanding the kids that are in our schools and classrooms, and figuring out how we move forward from there. What works, what doesn't, what's possible, right? Those are the things that I continually think about. Um, So I also really just want to make sure that people aren't um, taking this as, oh my gosh, everything I've done has been wrong or this hasn't worked. If it's worked in your classroom, if it's worked in your context, let's build on that, right? Let's use it. And then let's also get rid of things that aren't working so that we can do more of what does and prioritize what matters most. And so that putting it into practice is really that opportunity to say, what do I connect with? What, what is making me think differently? And what are some, some takeaways that I want to make sure to bring back to my own practice?
0: That dedication, I think, really sings out in your book because I think people that have been practitioners in this space, you hear that when you read books from folks that have done the work versus maybe a theory or a research approach. I really feel like people that have been in that work have that empathy about how hard it is. And also, if we believe in meeting learners where they're at, Mm -hmm. how are we also meeting educators where they're at? And helping them understand the things that they're doing well. Great teaching is great teaching, right? How can we do systemic approaches? You can be thinking about that and processing because every system's got different levels of readiness. So I I love that that's true and how you present that. And thank you for sharing more about that. Um, there's also recent conversations about learner-centered approaches and, um, you know, Sometimes a miss if, if it's not got that culturally responsive piece, because really the true intent, I believe, and I think you do too, is that a learner-centered approach is culturally responsive because you are taking into account the learners that you're serving, that you're in front of, that you're there to help support. Are there um, pieces that you would add to that or additional support that you would recommend to have robust, robust um, learner-centered approaches that meet that culturally responsive aspect that you'd want to share?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Rebecca. I think that you know, learner-centered at its core is about a culturally responsive, equitable, and inclusive environment. If you don't have a, a learning environment where each individual feels cared about, valued, and seen for who they are, for what they bring, for what they can become, then I don't consider that to be learner-centered. That is a fundamental aspect of valuing, honoring the individuals. Um, and teachers have to be seen in that environment too. The educational administrators, everyone has to be seen for who they are. Um, too often, we get this confused, and I talk about this in the book around like gate education. Um, you know, gifted and talented—that those are for the the kids who are smart, right? We have all of these authentic learning experiences for kids who are seen as as more as as smart, which traditionally we know are you know high income white students, um, you know more so than a more diverse population. And so my take is that when we can see each individual for who they are, we can honor the diverse ways that we learn and show what we know, we can see the gifts that we all bring. Um, and one of my, my favorite um, reminders of this is, you know, students saying, help me understand how I'm smart, not if I'm smart, right? And, and so I think that is that is the approach that we really wanna think about here is, is understanding the gifts that everyone brings um, and, and their backgrounds. And that makes the classroom so much more fun and interesting when we can talk about our different perspectives rather than make everybody the same. Uh, so so that, is, that is a big, big piece, very much a, a cornerstone or a foundation of learner-centered practices.
0: Katie, I agree with this so much. And this is why I actually favor the term learner-centered over something like competency-based or the term GATE or the term remedial, obviously, because I feel like that still implies this average expectation for a student. Um, When it's truly learner-centered, you're just meeting students where they they are and what they need to help move them forward. Unfortunately, a lot of us might be trapped in systems that are time-bound and maybe have more traditional approaches. And so they feel like the gate and those other are the best courses of action to meet needs that weren't being met in a traditional model. So I want to be clear, we're not saying we're against that, but in a true learner-centered approach, That would just be embedded in the practice and that would just be meeting students where they're at to help facilitate growth. So I appreciate that too.
1: Yeah, that everyone can have access to those really authentic, meaningful learning experiences, that they're not just for some kids, but if we really understand how we learn, that we want all kids to have access to those types of learning experiences.
0: I noticed in your chart, and you are a fan of color. I have always loved this about what you do and your design and you bringing that work in. And you've always been very clear about how much you enjoy that. And so I was not surprised to see this beautiful chart about building learner agency in your book. I also recognize, as I'm sure others will, a connection to the Noster's um, chart out there about managing complex change. And those of you that are just listening to this don't have your hands on the book yet. Imagine a chart with very colorful columns, and a diagonal approach of when you're missing some of these components. This is what you're experiencing. Uh, you know, there's a lot of us that are fans of that, but it's usually meant for really larger systemic change. What I really like about the one that Katie has in her new book is about learner agency for educators. So, just so you can look at your system as a classroom or as a learning environment. What are those pieces that you need? Could you walk us through? It seemed like it was an intentional refinement to yeah. make it more accessible for educators. Could you tell us more?
1: Sure. So yeah, i definitely a fan of the Noster model and thinking about complex change and knowing how it's helpful for people to understand, oh, if I'm missing a piece, it has an impact on the outcome, right? And so systems thinking, really understanding how each each part of the design needs to be intentional. And so as I was kind of walking through the example in the book with my daughter's learning journey, the the way that, you know, I thought about how sometimes we think learner agency is just like, do whatever you want, have fun, go out and, and learn. And then people go, but my, that doesn't work in my classroom. The kids don't know what they want to learn about. They they don't have, you know, the work isn't good. And so this model starts with exposure and purpose that really we're, we're expanding kids' opportunities. We're giving them more opportunities to understand what they care about, and we're connecting them to the other ideas and setting purpose for learning, right? This can be your standards. This can be um, goals in your community. It could be an individual purpose for for a student. It just means that you need to have, if you don't have exposure and purpose for learning, you're going to be kind of off meandering, and just it's just in compliance mode. Then we want to set goals and and plan for how we are going to learn, right? If we know if we set goals, we're more likely to actually meet them. And so often the goals maybe the teachers have or the district has, but the students don't know about them. And so they're just kind of following along compliantly um, or not, and, and they don't actually take ownership. And so once we have goals and we plan for our learning journey, then we have to take action. We have to do something right? Just like we have to do as educators. If we never actually try, you just sit there waiting and thinking, this would be a good idea. It's, you know, it's aspirational, but you actually don't try something. And you know, once we try something, we learn like, oh, this is hard. This is what I'd need to learn more about. And so we need that guidance and support of educators. And, and through the process, that's where we come in as educators to structure, support, guide, not just to be the one with all the information, Um, And then ultimately through the journey, we have to reflect and revise and go back to some of these different steps. And if we can do that, we can develop the competence and confidence of our learners um, in really powerful ways.
0: Yeah. You mentioned some great systems that that you've been a part of or that you referenced. um, I think in many cases, some intentional shifting to learner facilitator as an example instead of teacher, because recognizing that students have access to a lot of resources, I know my children do, and they're learning about Mm -hmm. a lot of things that are outside of my comfort zone. And I don't want to necessarily squash those interests, but as a facilitator or guidance and support, like you reference, parent or educator, what are ways that we can put them in touch? In you, um, in your example with Abby and her, um, you know, her interest in cake and cooking and being a chef, um, you had a neighbor that was a great mentor that I thought was just a brilliant. Share and then how that was then used to reflect and revise. Um, I think a lot of people will be able to connect to that journey and it will really make a lot more sense when we talk about learner-centered versus uh, maybe more teacher-centered models. What does that look like? So when learners' interests go beyond what you might have at the table, where do you find and facilitate that journey to move beyond you?
1: Yeah. I mean, and that the, really is, I don't cook. I don't like to cook. I don't have any interest in it, but I, you know, we need to eat. So I like to surround myself with people who like to cook. and. Abby, but Abby really is just like motivated and interested in, in baking. And so you mentioned my neighbor also loves it. So I've paired them up. And then just this weekend, we were um, at a family gathering and Abby whipped up a cocktail sauce and pulled together some stuff. And I was like, how did you do that? And she goes, oh, I learned it from Martha Stewart. When she was hanging out with my neighbor, They had a they had a Zoom call with Martha Stewart and learned about how to make some of these things. It's way beyond my expertise, my interest, but providing that's the exposure, those are the the opportunities to learn from different people. Um, now she can take that learning and put it into practice in different ways. and our kids can do the same as well um, to really learn beyond what the teacher cares about or is interested in, and it really shifts the the paradigm to think about what are you interested in as a learner? what do you want to do and where do your gifts and talents kind of um, can, can guide you in certain directions well, I look forward to sampling something from
0: Abby in the future when I'm down there and there you can let her know I'm excited um, but sounds wonderful smart move <laughs> um, in chapter nine you share about one of our favorite topics again smart sustainable developmental goals and uh, the play that that has in real world learning and authentic opportunities. Um, can you do a little plug for that I felt like that was great because this kind of feeds into that so you've got a lot of interests. There's a process for you to develop that. And then maybe how does that become a longer lifelong path too?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think just like we were talking about that exposure and purpose, these sustainable goals are a really great place to start. I think when people say, I don't know what I'm interested in. I don't don't even know where to start. These are 17 goals that are pertinent to our world in communities globally, that, um, there's a lot of resources, people in the real world are tackling these challenges. And so when we can, um, invite kids to learn about the challenges, to research, to investigate, to connect with kids around the world, it's a great opportunity to expand their horizons and, and help them understand, um, where they can take action. And so I love these goals. And Jennifer Williams has um, the Global Goals Project that I talk about, where, you know, there's classrooms all over the world that, you know, you can learn from and teachers can gather some lesson plans and ideas so you don't have to go at it alone. Um, but it's it's a really cool way to, to get kids involved and to, to help them do meaningful work. The other piece that um, I share is, Ron Berger's hierarchy of audience. And I think that's a really, really important piece there that sure, you know, when we turn stuff into our teacher, it's about compliance, it's about showing up and the kids who do well in school are fine with that. But, you know, a lot of kids need more, um, more purpose. They need more, more reason to do something. And so doing something that matters to your community, to, you know, the global environment, can really increase that motivation and engagement for a lot of our learners and for teachers too.
0: Yeah, very true. Um, And and quality work, which Berger like uh, aligns himself to. I know it's an oldie but goodie, but I love that Austin's Butterfly video that he does with feedback. And I mean, that's such a good one, stand the test. (laughs) And it's a great, Great resource to kind of line up to what you're sharing too. Um, So when you visit school, I know you get called to visit and help and support districts and learn collaborative. Um, When you are talking with teachers and site leaders, um, what are signs that you help them or you yourself look for to see, you know, is is this truly learner centered might be a leverageable next step to consider. What are some signs that stand out to you when you visit classrooms and schools that could be helpful to our listeners?
1: Yeah. Great question. I think At first, when you when you can walk into a classroom, it's an initial energy and a way that learners are treated. So I listen to how does the teacher talk to students? How do they talk to one another? Are they are they asking questions? Is it inquiry based? Are they trusted and are they treated as humans? Right. Just this simple um, example at Design 39, one of, you know, our partner schools. And I know that you've done a lot of work with them as well. Um, A student was like sitting on the edge of a table and he fell off. I mean, this was like a second grader, you know, they're clumsy and he fell off. And the teacher said, are you okay?" And a group of people with me, they were like, oh, my gosh, they would have been in the office in our school right? That would have been an affront to the teacher that you were messing around and you weren't sitting still and you would have been sent to the office. And then the child did it again. He fell again. And the teacher said, are you okay? Do you need, do, do you need to make a different choice? And, you know, they talked did it a third time and the teacher said, maybe we need to make a different choice and think about some different options. But this is a way of like helping learners make choices, understanding they're navigating their world. They're trying to figure things out Rather than you're, you know, you are being non compliant, you're not doing what you're supposed to do, you need to go to the office or you need to get out of this classroom. So that is just how people are treated is a f- foundational aspect. Um, and then I look at the work. Is everything the same? Is, is everything on the wall just like copy paste that everyone had to fill in the worksheet? Or are, is there evidence of real? inquiry and and different ways of approaching problems that learners are um, are having the opportunity to to be engaged in do the walls reflect the people in the room or do the walls reflect the teacher those are some things too that shift of if it's if we are looking to learner centered then we are creating a space where everybody is valued and seen in that room Uh, they're not just visitors into the teacher's classroom how do you weigh
0: those short-term results into long-term impact? I, I think it was um, in the hundreds, page 108 or nine. But I think you talk about
1: long-term impact um, and how that can make that. Could you share a little bit more about that? Sure. Uh, I, I think that what I what I want to be clear is it's not like all or nothing, right? Or it's not that we're just gonna get there, that here's, here's the thing that we're arriving at. These are shifts, that, and if we're evolving in education, in 10 years and five, we're going to continually evolve with the resources and tools um, and the needs. But it's are we, are we starting to see the engagement increase? right? I always share um, Gallup's engagement curve, and but you know, when we see the engagement dip to about 20, 30 percent, by the time the kids are graduating high school, gosh, imagine if we could flip that. Imagine if we could start to see kids throughout the day do things that they enjoy. solving problems that matter and having fun. Those are short-term wins. But over time, you sustain that. You start to see that people feel valued. They start wanting to solve more problems. They start seeing themselves as capable and confident. And their engagement as they are are in school and as they leave um, continues to expand. So those are some like short-term goals that can increase um, long term and so it's not simply changing everything as an educator it's what's that small tweak that I can make what is that small change that I can do can I ask learners you know their opinion can I give them a few small choices then how does how does that kind of um, compound into, to greater goals as we start to think about, um, oh, that worked. I should give them more choices. Oh, they actually showed up and, and they were, they were engaged and they were really working hard and they created this awesome, you know, product. How do we, what are the next steps? I think it just continues to grow from there. Um, and, and I think the other piece is we have to start looking at a broader view of success. What are we really looking at as success? Are kids showing up more confident? Are they able to look at problems differently? Are they being more critical thinkers and being able to show evidence over time of individuals growing in their skills? And then, um, you know, we start to see systems really change too. Do you have future changes or
0: predictions for the road ahead as we start to close this incredible conversation about your new book? What are some predictions that you might see or things that you might project that happen in the future of where this could go?
1: I I really think that um, it's it's an opportunity for teachers to come together and to really start understanding how much power and influence they have um, every day. I think sometimes we say, I can't do this because somebody else or, you know, the question I get asked the most is, how do I get others on board? My admin won't let me do this. Um, you know, our, our system is too confined and won't let us do this. And I, you know, George Coros always says like um, the biggest barrier is sometimes our own way of thinking. And I do think that if we start realizing how much power and influence each one of us has to shift the system and to show what's possible and to, to push against the status quo, that um, we can really start doing awesome things for kids. We already are. And it's just getting getting more comfortable and tipping to that, um, that tipping point of seeing this being the norm rather than the exception. Um, and I think we're there. I think the pandemic has helped people see um, a lot of gaping holes in our system. And um, a, and I think it's an opportunity for us to really um, just move to that learner-centered paradigm and start seeing seeing our role um as helping support, engage, and uh, expand the possibilities for kids, rather than mold them into something that you know is the same across the board. Truly learner
0: centered, wonderful, Katie. Thanks for joining us today. We appreciate your emphasis on making the shift to learner centered education and the way you use your personal narrative and powerful stories to communicate that need. That's it for today's listeners. Thanks for tuning in. We appreciate your time.